On this week's show, it is a massive milestone and we've got the guests to match. Kari Webb, Gavin Kirkman and James Sutherland all join us today. Let's get rolling. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 200. That's right, 200 of them. Andy Mahi, no Mark Hayes, but uh, the show has been elevated to a whole more special <laughs> level without Hazy here. That's the giggling voice of Ali Whitaker in the background who... She only rolls out for the big milestone events. I feel I feel pri- very privileged to be here, and I'm feeling a little bit remiss that I didn't get some like some merchandise made, maybe a little nice little mouse pad. Well, that's right up your rally. Um, I know I should stuff. have. Yeah, I should have done something, but I didn't. In fact, there's no merch available at all. There isn't. We, no, we can work on that. I'm not sure. Like 200 episodes. Yep. They say there's a con- consumer watchdog. I feel like somehow we've like we've slipped around the kennel, <laughs> right. or it's a consumer there's, puppy in relation to podcasts. Just underground enough, I reckon. <laughs> uh, it's lovely to have you here. We got a pretty big show today. Carrie Webb's going to join us. I mean, it's a it's a look. I know it's probably not that big a deal for most of people listening, but it is for us. So great to have Carrie Webb join us on our 200th and the two CEOs of PGA Tour of Australia, Gav Kirkman and uh, the CEO of Golf Australia, James Sutherland, are going to join us. We're obviously at a you know, pretty important time, I think, in the history of Australian golf with, you know, the golf centre being built out at Sandringham, everybody coming in under the one roof. This is, you've been around this game for a long time in different um, at different kind of levels and responsibilities. Pretty significant time, I reckon. Yeah, it is. And you know what? There have been kind of alignments in the past, but you kind of feel like this is this is the real deal, which I'm really excited about. because I, And I think that that opportunity has been lent to us by COVID, to be honest with mm. you. It's given everyone a, a beat, a time to reflect on how we can make things better. Um, listening to membership as well when there's no tour golf to kind of get in your ears. Um, I just feel like there's so many benefits um, that's going to mm. come from this. I see no downside at all. Um, you mentioned the word beat there. Just your sense, and we'll 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 maybe try and get an idea from the two bosses when they join us about this. But the heartbeat of Australian golf, you, you have a, you probably have a more of a sense for how we are seen uh, internationally than most of us, given the amount of time you spend overseas. You come back here, you're engaged, you're involved. How is the heartbeat of a of the game in Australia from your perspective? I think so. To be honest with you, I think so much of the Aussie appreciation comes from tourism, so that's that's kind of the kicker in uh, in the last twelve months. Is that people have sometimes have to come and see places like the Sandbelt, go along the New South Wales Golf Coast, you know, go down to Barn Boogle, mm. and um, and then they kind of catch the bug. And so I think in terms of you know a couple of the strategies that they've done to kind of get golf on screens here to stay relevant in terms of the Players Series, which we've talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks, to keep our name in the mix has just been so crucial yeah, yeah, and I'm really proud of that and also just the way that the media here has got behind our players overseas and and kind of make sure making sure that you know the the people that are stuck over in the US are still getting mentioned and, and this podcast is obviously great for that but um, it's not easy what they're mm. doing and, and bubble life is really hard and, and more than ever um, our pros overseas uh, need the support from back home and, mm. and just like text them you know mm. it sounds really weird but like obviously you don't have their number but like get on social media and just give them a boost because if you see you know like this past week Scott Hen playing great yeah. um, you know over in uh, in Nairobi Matt Jones obviously will touch on as well um, and if you have access to watch them 
just getting on the bandwagon because I can't tell you. It's like you're the you're the crowd yeah. that's clapping on the eighteenth yep. green. Yep. And I and I implore people to do it. So there's a bit of despair in me, and it's not hopeless. But you mentioned Matt Jones yep. wins, you know, magnificent victory. Um, brains the field in difficult conditions, plays incredibly good golf to to close that thing. A difficult course to to you know to to do what he did on. It hard. Well, I'm not going to say it hardly raised a beat here in Australia, but it did. It, it you have to go searching for the broader, more mainstream coverage of that. It's not. It's not automatic, mm. which is so frustrating. So it's why a show like this exists mm-hmm. um, to a large degree. And we in golf will talk about Matt Jones and everybody's got social media access to Matt Jones. We go, well done, Matty. Hopefully he gets a sense that there are people over here watching because if you were to turn the nightly news on, and I understand there's a couple mm-hmm. of footy leagues that have just started up, so they dominate, but... It's not that easy to find all the time. No, and that's, you know, from a, a commercial kind of free-to-air media standpoint on that on that front, uh, sometimes you wonder about the star factor. You mm. know, Matt, but I have to say, Matt's a guy that comes home. Mm. He comes home. Oh, he supports yeah, the tour. He's two won two time, Australian yeah. Opens. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys that is just so incredibly likable, lovely, family man, like... By all accounts, you see, you know, you see him with any of his kids, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, and you just start, you know, your heart's warmed and you yeah. start gushing. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what we have to do to change that. Mm. I don't know, you know, mm. do they have to be trending on social media? Like, you know, do we have to be writing letters? Um, people like you and I, do we do we have to write letters to, you know, Channel Seven, Nine, Ten? Um, sports departments, and and that's a question. So I'm I'm open to ideas. Like if if you're in the industry and you know how um, the stories you know get to air, and obviously we are in the industry and we're kind of clueless. So I'm I'm all for the help. So have no hesitation yeah. getting in contact with me, and I will I will write them an update every week if it's going to help. And show interest. Just be interested. Yeah. I think that's part of the key. And if you are uh, a golf fan and you you do have a similar kind of lament. Um, well, social media is one way. Organisations, media organisations do monitor that sort of stuff hourly these mm-hmm. days. So mm-hmm. if there's you know, 100,000 of us all at once going, how good's Matty Jones? Yeah. Then somebody in a news department, someone's going to go, this Matt Jones, but well, we should bump him up mm-hmm. um, the bulletin a bit more and, um, and you know, elevate the status of that story. The, his performance was remarkable. Difficult course, windy conditions, um, playing with JB Holmes in the final round, four and a half hours for a twosome is just ridiculous. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the other bloke he's playing with. He's, that's well and truly known now. And Jones, so many times you could see him standing over his golf ball, ready to play, yeah. and whether it be the group in front or the bloke who he's playing with, he wasn't able to. So he had to... His own, whatever own internal doubts he had, and he said he was at peace and calm all week. Uh, seven years, all all of the things that went in, he was he was remarkable on on that Sunday over there. He was, and you know, and to add context to that, Matt Jones is possibly the fastest player mm. on on tour in professional golf. Like he's up there with Laura Davies for me. Who, I, whenever I play with Laura, I end up. She said, like you end up hitting while she's. Like you're walking while she's hitting because you're not expecting her to be ready so quickly that you yep. think you've got time to get up alongside her and then the ball's on the way. And Matt is so similar. Um, and he's, you know, just the, a, a gleaming beacon of hope in the uh, the pace of play thing. And, and adversely, JB Holmes is 
well and truly down yeah, the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. So from a mental standpoint, he would have known going into Sunday he was going to be waiting a lot. Um, he had a lot of up against him throughout the whole week, you know, throughout a course record. What was it, 61 in the opening round? No first round. I don't think – I think I'm getting this right. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I don't think any first round leader has gone on to win. Right. Um, that's how hard it is. There's a lot of stats in golf. Yeah, I'm there not, is. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think I remember hearing that on the broadcast and I usually go, ooh, ding, yeah, ding. No, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, mental note made. But yeah. – uh, yeah, it, it is a really mentally taxing golf course. He was what, six shots back on Saturday behind Aaron Wise. He ended up sleeping on the lead going into the next day and winning by five. Go mm. figure. Mm. You know, who, mm. who sees that coming? And it's an absolute testament to how he was feeling at the start of the week. You know, like he said, um, he was feeling calm. He, he, mm. Every now and then, as a tour player, you you feel you have this odd sense of peace about your golf game. It is so rare. And it's almost like... If I can get on the course, I'm I'm going to win. Like he mm. texted his mate earlier in the week saying, "My game's so good that if anyone else wins, they're cheating." Mm. That's what, you know. Right. And so I yeah. hope his mate. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that technically he's allowed to, but he wouldn't mind putting five bob on him, would you? But um, yeah, huh. those those days. I remember I had one of them at the Vic Amateur, um, and I turned up. It was a 36 hole final at Moona Links, and I'd had everything against. I had some medical stuff going on that week. I got to the club and I knew I was going to win. All right. And How I was losing at 18 holes of the 36-hole final. And Still I went, not rattled? so weird. Were was, you rattled? Like, no, I thought it was no. odd. I was like, oh, yeah. this is so bizarre. I was so sure I was going to win. Yeah. And then sure enough, just stayed yeah. out of my own way, went on and somehow got across the line at the yeah. end. And But that's the only day I've ever had like that. So that's yeah. why I remember it. But um, obviously he had a whole week like it, which is brilliant. No, good on him. So it comes with all of the things that it comes with, you know, exemptions and tickets into major championships. And he's in good nick. So he's a good player in difficult conditions. We know that Australian golfers are often that and hopefully get some difficult, bouncy, windy conditions Um that are you know that, that are replicated uh, down the track, and he can show his ball control and his driving proficiency and all the rest of it yeah. when he gets there. So. Quick shout out too to his coach Gary Barter. Yeah, I know yeah, that I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. they've been putting uh, some massive hard yards in on his putting, and and down the stretch there was a couple where he was mm. like, oh, you know, but that's the thing. Like he he had the lead to be relaxed, um, and his ball striking had been so incredibly good that he was putting himself to you know mm. fifteen twenty feet, and it's so rare that you're ever going you know at that level you're going to three putt or lose shots from from that range. And uh, so it's a credit to yeah his coach back uh, back home who's out of the Australian Golf Club, I believe. Um, like like Matt is, yep. which is brilliant. Yep. Adam Scott tied tied thirteen four under Cam Davis and Lucas Herbert made the cut there. We'll, we'll talk about all the other bits. And pieces at the end of the show, but we'll, let's get a wriggle on. Kari Webb's going to join us on the other side of the break, and then we've got Gavin Kirkman and James Sutherland to join us here on the 200th anniversary of Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. As we've already mentioned, it's a pretty significant little milestone for this humble wee podcast of ours, Inside the Ropes, 200th episode. Um, lovely to be part of it again. And on so many occasions, we've talked about the deeds of Arguably Australia's greatest ever player, um, irrespective of gender. And what a joy it is to have Kari Webb part of our 200th celebration. She's been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Kari, thanks so much for being part of what's a pretty special uh, moment for this this little program of ours. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, and congratulations on Show 200. Thank you. Um, what are you up to these days? What, what, what's, a, what's a typical sort of um, day and week look like for Kari Webb um, these days? Um, well, it just depends uh, where I am. And I, I guess um, a typical um, COVID 
18 months, <laughs> really. Yeah, geez, um, hasn't involved a lot of um, golf tournaments. Um, but I've been back in Australia now for um, just over a couple of months, which has been great and good to have a little freedom um, up here in North Queensland anyway. And I everyone down in Victoria has done it pretty hard um, the last 12 months, so I'm sure they're happy. I saw... Um, that uh, 40 games at 75% this weekend, so so that'll almost feel back to normal down there, which will be great. Nice to get back into But as far as, yeah, yeah, to answer your question, a day in my life, um, uh, I've been, we've been working on uh, Indra Pilly Golf Club, Ross Parrott and I, um, uh, re, um, we've got a, a new brief um, to um, the, the uh, club <clears throat> changed directions a little bit with COVID and um, we're um, uh, coming up with a new master plan to, to meet the new needs of the club and hopefully get started um, in 2022 on, on rejuvenating um, their 36 holes there. Can you give us a little teaser so actually, of, of what that might what yeah. that might look like? What's the MO for the project now? Um, well, I think it w- it's a bit more holistic than just having the course redone. I think the members realised that there was needs in the clubhouse and stuff like that. Um, and um, the past board's um, thoughts on what, what the needs were didn't meet um, most of the members' thoughts. So, um, yeah, so it just was a, a re-look at the master plan and eliminating some of the things that we had provided in the first master plan and... Um, and now it's, um, well, I think it'll arguably have the best practice facilities in Brisbane um, once it's done. And I think they want to um, be able to create a more of a family atmosphere out there and, and get a younger membership. So I, I think um, that's what we're trying to achieve with the design as well. Make it challenging for the good players, but also enjoyable for beginners and, and um, young kids. Carrie, Queensland's so sort of disparate and different, whether you're north or Queensland or down south. It's so, so there's probably different needs in different places. But how competitive is the golf market in Queensland? I was up there last week on the Goldie, and we just drove 40 minutes from the airport to a game of footy. I reckon we drove past probably 10 golf-related facilities, whether they be golf courses or golf courses and driving ranges. It's a very, very competitive market up in that neck of the woods. Yeah, definitely in southeast Queensland it is. Um, you know, I think the <clears throat> the boom of um, the you know the tourism industry down the Gold Coast in the 80s and 90s created a lot of those golf courses. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think um, the the good thing for golf everywhere um, in the world and even in Australia is that um, uh, COVID made people realise how enjoyable it is to get out and play around the golf and and be in nature and and, and playing a sport with your mates. I feel like that's one thing, you know, as we're discussing it, that it's something that maybe Queensland do a little bit better than the other states. Like we're so membership driven mm. in Victoria. You know, that's kind of what we use as the benchmark. Same, similarly in, uh, you know, South Australia, New South Wales. Um, I, I feel like they do a really good job of kind of tapping into the, the social golfer. Is that kind of influenced a little bit about, you know, through your project as well at Indrapilly? I think that's going to, Indrapilly will be more membership driven. Um, you know, it's not, necessarily for, for the social golfer, but introducing, um, you know, more of the family dynamic um, and not not getting members, you know, joining, um, you know, in their 50s after their family has grown and, and left the household, um, you know, having them be members as kids and then continue their membership throughout, um, you know, their life. Um, so I think um, 
you know, that's more of their target is to, to have a younger membership out there. But um, I think, oh, for me, you know, growing up in North Queensland, um, all the clubs that even are membership driven rely heavily on social golf. Um, you know, they don't they don't make it if they don't have social play as well. Um, so, you know, I've grown up um, with clubs encouraging, you know, social Sundays and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, I guess it is different that way. But um, you know, I'm, I, I know there's facilities, you know, all around the country, public facilities that, you know, still provide that that as well. Um, and I think we forget, um, you know, we we do only think of the you know the pointy end of of the stick as far as you know the elite golf courses, but. There's many public golf courses out there that are providing, you know, that same social um, interaction while being out um, in in nature in, in the middle of a city. Um, you know, yeah. and I think those yeah. clubs those clubs are doing doing really well during this time. But you know, there has been some debate back and forth. I know um, uh, one of the the courses, Moore Park in um, Sydney, is battling. Um, you know, people trying to to get rid of half of their course, and it's one of the most profitable public golf courses in the country. Um, you know, so you know they face those battles um, constantly. But you know, it does provide you know a, a service, and I don't think there's any council in in any part of the world that wouldn't want a golf course that's making money um, and turn half of it into a park, and and then it costs them money. It doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I guess those, you know, just referring back to the, like the family values, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know that that was essentially how you got into the game, Kari. Like, you know, you, you think of someone like Kari Webb and you think that they've been groomed from a young age, but I think it was your grandparents, wasn't it, that kind of just took you out to the golf course on those family days and that's how you caught the bug? Yeah, um, my grandparents um, work six days a week and Sunday was um, Sunday mornings they played nine holes together. Um, and from the age of four, they started picking me up at seven o'clock in the morning and, and taking me around to nine holes. So that was how how I got into it. But my parents are um, active members at the club too when I was little. And um, to me, it was just the the atmosphere out at the club. I know that that sounds weird um, when you think of a stereotypical atmosphere at a at a golf course, but um, at a country club like Air Golf Club. Um, you know, mum and dad would play on a Saturday afternoon and my grandmother would look after us and um, she'd bring us out and meet my grandfather and my parents and they'd have a, be upstairs in the clubhouse having a drink and, you know, all the, it was a fairly young club at the time so there's plenty of kids my age um, who who were out there as well and we'd be outside running the muck, running through all the bunkers and um, playing tiggy and all sorts of things. Um, Better than going to know, church on so... a Sunday morning, Carrie. I can give you the tip. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just a it was just a great atmosphere, and I was the oldest of of three girls. So I guess being the eldest, I think you try to do things like your parents. And um, because I liked being out there, um, I just naturally gravitated towards golf. Would you be happy to be a I want to say sort of a political agitator on, but but an advocate for just talking about the Moore Park situation? If if you know, there became a, a a group that wanted to really fight for that. Would you be prepared to get on the front line, lend your profile and your voice and your thoughts to a campaign like that, or is that something you'll, you'd prefer to leave to other people? No, I mean, I I, I definitely would. I, you know, the Moore Park situation, I, I um, have um, you know on social media 
voice my concern um, about that. Um, another course up in Cairns, um, yeah. uh, Paradise Palms. Um, it's not. Um, it's it's still membership driven, but it's you know also um, you know again a country course relies on um, on public play as well. Um, and the developers who screwed over the the members up there something shocking, and they don't even have a course to play on at the moment. So, mm. um, you know, and the city council standing by and just allowing it to happen. Um, you know, so, you know, I feel like I have voiced my displeasure of, of that, and and um, you know, the the people that criticise uh, golf and and really have no have no educated view on it, they just you know, they've just gone from the stereotypical opinions that they've heard over the years and, and just gone with that rather than being educated on on the benefits of, of playing golf and, you know, um, mental health, physical health, um, yeah. all, all of that. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to help out public golf because, you know, although I wasn't a member of the Air Golf Club, I, you know, um, anyone's welcome there and, you know, um, there's plenty of golf courses around the country that are like that. Well, what better, what better voice to have uh, behind oh, a, a movement like that? And you've been lending yours, uh, you've been lending your voice around, Kari Webb. Uh, I had the pleasure <laughs> of tuning into you while I was in hotel quarantine. You kept me very entertained um, <laughs> on the mic, doing some broadcasting at the Athena. Tell oh, us about right. that. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I hadn't, hadn't done um, any commentating really before. I'd done guest spots, but nothing. Um, you know, where I was a part of the whole telecast. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, um, it was, um, you know, an idea that um, the WPGA came up with um, an alternate format to, to um, try and provide opportunities for the, for the younger up-and-coming um, girls uh, in the country. And, um, you know, uh, it probably wasn't the easiest first comment commentary gig uh even um you and porter told me that i jumped in the deep end on that one but um <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i really enjoyed it um you know it was fun to to see the girls and most of them i'd known um through the Kari web series so it was good to catch up with a lot of them as well and meet some of the younger uh, younger girls i hadn't met before Kari, do you like some of these kind of concept tournaments that we're seeing more of in australia yeah i do i think um I mean, I think Australia's really been the leader in, in coming up with um, uh, different concepts. You know, we've had Super Sixes and uh, and the Athena and, you know, the Vic Open. Um, I mean, there's, there's tournaments around the world now copying um, the Vic Open concept and, and even taking it one step further, you know, with the TPS events that we've just seen, um, men and women playing from, you know, um, altered tees, but... Um, competing for the same purse. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's great to see that. I think it creates a different interest than, than normal. I know the Vic Open's been hugely successful with that. Yeah, I have no doubt that you read one of the most uh, talked about articles in the world last week in the golfing world was from Beth Ann Nichols, who works for um, for Golf Week. And I have no doubt that you, uh, you read that from start to finish, Kari. Can you, like, I feel like, what she was talking about in terms of trying to find comparable scoring opportunities for men and women in professional golf feeds right into the the players series and and you know how how do you think they're going to kind of tr- fine tune that um as it as it goes along yeah um i agreed with some of that article and and i disagreed with some of it um you know i think it's 
you know, if we're just if we're just playing on the LPGA or or the WPGA, and it's just an event with women, I don't I don't necessarily see why our courses have to be set up to match the scoring opportunities that the men have. Um, I don't. It, it's only necessary if we if we were playing a big open where they're comparing scores um, or we're actually playing against the men in a, you know, in a, like a TPS event, um, you know, so I don't, I don't see why we should be going back to playing courses of the length that I was playing 25 years ago on the LPGA. I don't, I mean, that was sort of what Brandel Shambly in, in that article was, was mentioning because that would be similar to then, what, how the men are playing their courses. Um, I just think it needs to be communicated differently. Mm. Um, I do think our officials don't set up our courses great. Um, they set up our part, like to get to our 65, 6,600 yards, they set up the par fives ridiculously long and then we don't have any real long par fours. Um, I feel like you could take two or three of those par fives and, and take 50 yards off off two or three of them and, and add yardage to, to the par fours um, and, and have a par four where, you know, the shorter hitters have to hit a wood into, um, you know, but the longer hitters are hitting seven irons into. Yeah, I guess um, if, um, if, but if making, Michael... But making the, longer, making the longer hitters have to hit driver. I'd rather see the long hitters have to hit driver, you know. Um, an area to Tanagan have to hit driver. She she doesn't like having to hit it, but we don't make her hit it because the courses aren't set up where she feels like she's at a disadvantage by not hitting it. So um, I also don't think our greens putt fast enough, and there's not a there's not enough of a premium on the on the girls that um, have distance control. So if the greens were faster, um, you know, you don't want to be past the pin. You want to be below the pin. You know, just stuff like that. So that that's where, um, you know, I'd like to see. I'm not a big fan of reachable par fours unless it's designed as that. I don't I don't like that it's not, you know, it's just designed as a good short par four and then we move it up to the front tee and make it a reachable par four. I don't I don't subscribe to that. I mean, if the if the hole was actually designed to be a reachable par four, then then yes. But um, yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the reachable par four. Um, and then, you know, going back to how it's communicated, um, you know, we just, uh, we don't ever compare the men to the women. So I don't understand why we, women are always compared to men. Um, it's ridiculous. You know, so it just, there just needs to be respect given to the talent yeah. that there is. And, you know, and it's not rocket science to know that we don't hit it as far as the men. But, you know... I'll back our best ball strikers to hit a five iron as close as the men and an eight iron as close as the men and a wedge as close as the men, you know, but we just, it's not from the same yardages and, you know, and, and if we're not, you know, I, I actually thought in that article also that, um, you know, maybe the average cut is what she said it was, but I feel like the cuts are so low out there now. Mm. They're, not, they're under par nearly every week. It's only a few and, and last year, maybe because, you know, the um, British Open cut was pretty high. That, um, I'm trying to think. There was a couple of cuts that were pretty high, um, U.S. Open. But it was because they're playing the U.S. Open in winter in Houston on a wet, soggy golf course, you know. Um, 
you know, I think that skewed skewed the average because I think most of most of our cuts are even par at worst. There's hardly any that are over par. Um, so, and I've even been at tournaments where they've been five under and six under in the last few years. So, um, you know, um, the, the standard out there has definitely gotten better, and I don't, I don't see why we should be going back to courses, course setups as, you know, of um, 25 years ago to the length. Anyway, um, I think there's other ways to do it. Yeah, I guess there's there's almost potentially a little bit of a like a, a marketing opportunity in the fact that the like the women's um, pro players around the world are effectively playing, still playing the courses the way that they were designed to be played, you know, and I guess that's, yeah. that's the difference, you know, if you start bumping it up, then, you know, the girls start overpowering the golf course as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and I think, yeah, I just, I think, um, I don't know. I don't, you know, like her whole sell was that, that, that's the cheapest way of marketing. And I don't believe so because I don't, it'd just be virtually a putting contest every week. It wouldn't be who hits the best irons. Because if you're all hitting wedges, everyone can hit a wedge in, you know, then it just comes down to who makes the most putts. And, um, you know, I just, I don't like that form of golf and I don't mind it on certain weeks, but I don't think we need to do it every week. Um, you know, look at, you know, the Honda Classic, the men played last week. I love that 12 under, one by five shots. Hmm. You know, that Matt Jones, you know, killed it in one by five shots. It's, you know, doesn't the average punter like to see the top golfers yep. struggle a little bit? Yep. I mean, uh, you know, you know, I, that's entertaining to me too, to to see how they handle adversity rather than just hit driver eight iron into a par five that, yeah. you know, no one can a- ever fathom. Yeah, I guess one of the things that, you know, we're focusing on the professional part of that article as well. There was, you know, there was kind of a, a very heavy focus as well on on social golf and club golf and kind of how giving women more opportunity to play off a, a variation of, of tees. Is that something that you'd consider with uh, with your design of Indrapilly? Yeah, um, I've uh, already been doing that. I've done a lot of research on, on um, the length that um, the average uh you know, women, woman member at clubs hits it. You know, obviously, I don't play courses from that length anymore. So, um, you know, I to have to, to understand, you know, what's needed um, from from that from those tee boxes. Um, you know, I've, I've had to go and um, uh, do a little bit of research. Um, I've spoken to Lynn Morrison um, a little bit about it, and um, you know, hopefully, in our um, we'll, in our master plan for Indrapilly, we'll have um, you know a standard length um, forward tee. I don't like calling them women's tees. I feel like we need to get away from you know the back tee being black and the front tee being red or pink or whatever. I think you know that they, they should be they should be just numbered like T one, two, three, four, five, and and your ability is the five tee, which is the front tee. Um, it's not, you know, whether you're a junior boy or an 85-year-old man, um, if if you get the most enjoyment playing from the five team, then that's where you should play from. Um, it shouldn't be coloured and they shouldn't be, you know, even my language 
I, I catch myself saying ladies' tees and I and I correct myself straight away because, it, you know, I don't see them as ladies' tees because I don't play from those tees. <laughs> so I'm maybe not always a lady, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, I don't play from those tees, you know. So, um, you know, I think that's where golf needs to be more inclusive as far as, um, you know, if Stacey Peters at Vic Golf Club wants to play in the men's comp from the men's white tees because that's where they're playing or the men's blue tees, she should be able to do that. Um, you know, it that's where it needs to change. Um, you know, um, and that so I, my hope is that for Andropilly that we have a standard length set of tees and then um, a set of tees that, you know, <clears throat> are under 5,000 metres, um, uh, for juniors, for beginner women, for older women and men um, that, you know, no longer hit it as far as they used to, but they still want to get out there and have a crack um, where, you know, it's enjoyable for them. And, and especially for people beginning the game, like, you know, why do they hit from tees where they can't even reach the fairway? Um, yeah, you know, so, yeah, yeah. yeah th- there's no enjoyment to it. Um, so, you know, that's my hope for Sandra Pilly. Here, here. Love the sound of it. Now, two two quick questions to finish. First of which, when are we going to see you back on a mic? Is it going to happen? <laughs> um, I you know, I haven't had any inquiries since then, but um, <laughs> I'm not ruling it out. It's not um, it's not uh, it's not something I wish to pursue full time. Um, you know, I feel like if I wanted to be on the road full time, I'd probably still try playing. Um, so, uh, you know, if there's there's an opportunity here or there, I definitely look at it. Um, but, um, yeah, no, so nothing in the near future anyway. All right. Well, um, if you need, if you need yeah. any references, you just let me know. You know, it's nice to be able to <laughs> <Okay>. give back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and part two Thanks, of that Ali, question. I appreciate it. Yeah, part two is um, is when you're going to come down for uh, for a round of golf and, and a wine. I know you're a big fan of everything, uh, the Sandbelt golf courses in particular. Is there anything, you know, on your list that you haven't checked off in Victoria? Yeah, um, I really want to get back down to Victoria. Um, you know, uh, one of these days soon, definitely I'll get down there, especially before it gets cold. But, um, you know, I've, I've I really enjoyed um, getting to know the different regions in, in Victoria, you know, um, Mornington and um, you know uh, the Ballerine Peninsula, um, all those places. Obviously Melbourne too, but um, you know one of the places I haven't been um, is the Murray area, and I've um, heard of you know some great courses up there, um, Black Ball Golf Course, um, Ross Perrett and Peter Thompson design. So I've, I, they've been telling me about about that course for years. So I've definitely wanted wanted to get up there and, and Yarrawonga Malt. Mawala yeah. uh, golf course, um, you know, I've I've seen pictures of that too. So um, I haven't ever been to that that part of the country, part of Victoria. So um, you know, I know there's other stuff to do up there as well. Um, there might even be some good wine tasting, which definitely uh, interests me. So <laughs> I definitely have to get up there. Uh, some, they're very friendly people, and there's a lot of golf options up in that neck of the woods, Curry. Uh, there's a thousand things that we've, um, we're we going to leave behind. It's always the case when we when we speak to somebody who's lived a life in, in golf and contributed to the game as much as you have. But thanks for being part of it today. Good luck um, up at Indrapilly, and um, we can't wait to see you down here in Victoria next time. Thanks for joining us on the show. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. 
Kari Webb, Hall of Fame, a legend of the game around the world, particularly here in Australia, joining us on our 200th episode, a break on Inside the Ropes. A couple of CEOs, if you don't mind, going to join us for a chat about where we are and where we're going on the other side of this. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show, 200th uh, anniversary of Inside the Ropes. Significant time for this show, and it's a pretty interesting time in the um, in the in Australian golf. Full stop in terms of where we've been, where we are, and where we might be going. We're joined by a couple of CEOs, if you don't mind the CEO, the Australian PGA Tour, Gavin Kirkman. Lovely to see you. Thanks very much, PGA, and the CEO, the CEO of Golf Australia, James Sutherland. Thanks for coming along. Andy, well done on your anniversary. Thank right. you very much. It feels like uh, 500 shows, not Turner with Hazy sort of steering the show from time to time, but uh, we're here. Um, this show is kind of evolving, um, and in terms of, I wonder whether in terms of where we are heading as a united bodies and, and shared responsibilities, I wonder whether Inside the Ropes, the podcast in and of itself, is a bit of a sign of where golf finds itself and where it might be going in terms of shared responsibilities and um, shared load carrying. Have you got a view about how this is a symbol of where golf might be heading Gav? Yeah, I, I do, Andy. And, and again, congratulations, 200 shows. And, and I think I um, was lucky enough to be on a couple. Yeah, my word, yeah. Uh, yep. And the ratings, I don't know how they went. But Spiked. I'm, I'm back again. Yeah, yep, yep. But I think um, Inside the Ropes will play a big part of where we're heading with the game and, and with golf in Australia because, you know, you always cover all aspects of the game. And I think we want to be more inclusive. Um, we want to make sure we tell great stories about golf and we want to promote all the benefits of golf. And this podcast allows us to do it from the world stage down to the grassroots, down to women, juniors, um, club sustainability. I think you've covered everything over the past 200 episodes mm. and we want to continue to do that. And the work we're doing behind the scenes as an industry now and with Golf Australia will allow us to do that. How does the what, – what's the key from both of your perspectives? What's the – is there one thing that's the most important pillar that sits in front of both organisations at the moment? Is there is – is it a concept? Is it a – is it a – is it is, – what is it? Is it – I can't speak for Gavin, but for me, um, the thing that comes to mind is more Australians playing more golf. Like it, it's as simple as that. If that is happening – I believe everyone in the industry is a winner. Yeah. And um, as we know, you know, the, the more you watch, the more you play, the more you want it. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about golf and, and as well as, of course, that you can keep playing it forever mm. if you're fortunate enough to be healthy and fit in life. And um, so from that perspective, I think that's what drives us. And, and what we want to do, what we're trying to do together and what we're talking about all the time is a flight to quality. Um, rather than sort of a fragmented approach where everyone's trying to do their own thing and perhaps competing a little bit. Mm. If we can bring um, our assets, our people, our services together, um, we can um, not only improve the quality, but we can serve the golf community better. So there's so many elements to all of that. You know, Vision 2025 is something that we've been talking about on this show a bit, which is, you know, encouraging the involvement in women and from all ages, from a young age all the way through, bringing all women into the game as much as we possibly can and making them comfortable in golf. We've had Nick Dasty on the show a lot, and he's going to be part of this show going forward, far more involved and engaged than he has been in the past. And we've just been speaking to Kari Webb about the, the player series, and, we've, you know, and the, we've been interested in seeing how that rolls out. 
how important is an event and a series like that in terms of marrying it in with Vision 2025? Get people in, show them that they can play. It is a game for both genders. Um, how important at the pointy end is a series like the TPS? Oh, it's, it's very important, but you know, we're, we're fully aligned with James. You know, what is our key um, priority at the moment? And it is getting more people playing the game. You know, we've got to get more people playing the game. But when you look at the players' series, it does that. It does, you know, it inspires young people to play the game of all levels. It promotes our professionals domestically and our elite amateurs, but it also showcases the game and it highlights as well. You know, we've got golf back on domestic broadcasts, which is really exciting. People are talking about it. Um, and the inspiration and what we're doing off the course around these events highlights that we're taking the game to a level that it hasn't been for mm. a long time here in Australia. Yeah, it's it's obviously massive. And, and we do have such an opportunity to kind of reinvent the wheel here. And, and I know how grateful a lot of the pros are to have those playing opportunities when they can't go back to places like Japan because they'd have to, you know, quarantine on the way in, quarantine on the way out. And it's just a little bit prohibitive at the moment. In terms of, you know, the alignment going forward um, of, you know, the PGA Tour of Australasia and WPGA and Golf Australia, what's that going to kind of look like? How are you all going to work together? I think the most important thing is not to duplicate. You know, we have to sit in the same room like we are today. We've got to talk to partners together across all areas of the business. So, you know, the key pillars, we can go back a house in corporate services. We can we can then look at commercial and broadcast, which, you know, it's just been great having the past six months with James in that area and, and our commercial teams. Um, we've then got education. We've then got pathways. Everything that both organisations are working with and with the WPGA Tour, with Karen Lunn and her team, as well as the other industry, we've got the GMA, the ASTMA. Um, we've got to bring it all together. And we can. It's it's just critical at the moment that we all get on to the same page. We sit around the same table, and we talk to our partners together. How important is Sandringham in in all of that? Um, well, I mean, it's fantastic as. Your listeners will know we're we're moving into the same office together at the Australian Golf Centre in July, hopefully. But um, it's completed on on time. But um, I think it's far more than just symbolic, um, and certainly that's the way that Gavin and I are looking at it. Um, with our general managers, we're we're working through an integration of of culture and working together. Um, but um, more practically, um, you know, to your question, Ali, about what it what it looks like. Um, if that bit of paper you've got in front of you there was um, turned over, hopefully it would be a blank sheet and we could we could draw up what we think golf should look like, how it should be administered um, if we were starting with a blank sheet yeah. of paper. The yeah. reality is we're not. But I do know that uh, if we were starting with a blank sheet of paper, it would look very, very different to uh, what it is now and perhaps even where it, where it ends up. And, and that means that what it is right now is suboptimal. Um, that's that's the important point, and um, for golf to achieve its potential, uh, we need to find ways to get to a more optimal structure that capitalises on the assets, but also then allows us as administrators in the game to serve the community a lot better. In terms of, so we've we've touched a little bit kind of on the tour side of of that. For for the people at home that are club members, you know, how are, how are they going to kind of benefit from um, from everyone kind of communicating better and coming together? Well, I mean, I think the, the direct benefit um, benefits will hopefully flow um, 
through us um, in the administration in serving clubs better, allowing them to be to be more sustainable. I mean, there are aspects as well on the on the digital side of things. I think that are progressing. This um, podcast is a, is an example of that, but there's a lot more to come. I mean, we're uh, we've got a handicap system that's in place. We're about to launch a new app um, that will. We'll, we'll monitor handicaps. You can share share handicaps with your friends and have hmm. sort of select groups of people that you work with. It's it's very, very exciting. I've been uh, one of the fortunate people to be trialling the product over the course of the last last couple of months and it is something really special um, that's coming online soon. Um, but I think, you know, on, on top of that, um, the other thing, Ali, that I'd like to reflect on is that... Um, We've all got a role to play in ensuring that golf has a future and continues to be relevant. And it's really difficult out there. You know, it's high, it's a highly, highly competitive <laughs> yep. sports and entertainment market that we're operating in. Mm. And the best players in that market, the best sports, um, are doing it really well. They're aligned. You know, the, the the professionals and the amateurs came together decades ago, yep. maybe even centuries ago, um, in a lot of sports. That hasn't happened in golf. Mm. Um, and and that's to golf's detriment, in my view. Um, somehow we need to find a way to, to come together because if we love sport, we love our sport in golf. Um, we need to find a way for it to have a sustainable future. So, is that how do you measure that? Is that just rounds of golf played? Is that is is it all of this? Is it club members? Is it uh, the number of people who click on a page and read about Matt Jones, you know, winning over in? in how do we how do we detect? Um, the heartbeat and the health, the vibrancy, uh, and uh, you know uh, yeah. of that. I think what what we've got to do first is continue the modernisation of the sport. We've got to make sure all the facilities have their doors open. We've got to relax a little bit more, like we've learnt through COVID with with the bunkers and yep. the, and the flag sticks. We've got to make our our sport cool. We've got to allow the dress codes to change, and and that's getting everyone engaged. You know from the club managers and the club boards, um, you know, public facilities like it's going to be out at the Australian Golf Centre at Sandringham Links, they've got to lead the way. That's got to be the pathway into the game. And then, as James said, you know, we've got to, you know, the the whole collaborative effort of touching and reaching out to juniors in our sport yep. and then keeping them in our sport. Ellie, you'd know, you know, we we lose our young girls between the age of fourteen and eighteen. Why? Why can't we keep them as a career in golf? You know, because from the PGA's point of view, you know, working with Golf Australia, we've got to have a career education pathway, which we're working on at the mm. moment. That if you want a career in golf, you can talk to us at year ten, and that we hope to roll that out in 2022. So, again, if you don't reach, make it out onto the world stage like Hannah and Minji and Kari, you can stay in the game and be an administrator like me or or a club manager or a PGA professional mm. coach mm. in the game. So it's across every area of the game, Andy, because um, it, it is so important that as a sport, and what James said is so we're, we're getting beat up by the other sports at the moment because they're united, they're aligned, they've brought the amateurs and pros together, but they're both selling it, one's front of house and one's back of house. And, and some have been through fair internal turmoil in the past have changed the way they've governed their sports. You know, here in Melbourne, we know what happened, VFL, AFL commission. We understand how significant that was. Are all the states in? Is this, you know, you guys are 
collaborating more in terms of the PGA and GA. States are pretty parochial in terms of their own programs and what they do. Have you both got great confidence that this is a national, a shared national agenda? Yeah, I, um, I believe that's so. I mean, we're, there's, there's two, for us, you know, there's two different things. One is, you know, we've got seven members of Gulf Australia, which are um, the six states and the Northern Territory. Um, we also have a program of uh, under one Gulf where um, we have aligned under uh, one, I guess, operating model and five of the seven states have, have joined that. So we're not perfect, but we're a long way advanced down that program. And if you look at the other sports in the country, they would wish for um, that level of in alignment. It's only yep. probably sailing is the only other sport that's really progressed as far as golf has. So uh, we're on the journey and hopefully we're getting closer. But but I think they all see that alignment. We're, we're uh, um, together with the PGA, we're going down the path of um, reviewing a, a national strategy for the game over the course of this winter. Um, it will involve uh, a lot of consultation surveys, um, workshops with um, people in state land and, and then people that, that work in the professional game to, to understand what golf's potential is, mm. uh, to try to set some sort of agreement on what we think that potential is and then, and then work out a plan as to how we're going to get there. I think that's a pretty significant step um, as a starting point mm. um, to align behind, but um, but then we've got to walk the walk. Mm. So, so we're coming out of, well, hopefully, we're certainly in Australia, we look like we're coming out of COVID, but the rest of the world's got ongoing battles beyond you know what we're dealing with here. The shop front window for a lot of you know what we're talking about here is are our four big tournaments, the Women's Open, the Open, the PGA, and the Vic Open in particular – how are they placed? How are we is it what is it now the twenty third of March two thousand and twenty one? Are we how are we feeling about those four tournaments in the next kind of cycle? Are we are we going to see them all back? Yeah, we're we're very optimistic. Talking to our partners that the tournaments will will be scheduled and and come back on for a summer of golf and and you know the, I think the biggest thing that you know for the listeners to know that. James and I are talking together about this, our approach, how we'll do it together um, from dealing with our government partners all the way down to delivery of the event and player strategy as well, which you know from history, player strategy is always yes. been a challenge <laughs> yeah, for us. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, that we want to work on together. But uh, we're in a much better position sitting here right now than what we were when we had to make those tough calls last year and, and cancel we postponed and then we had to cancel events but you know we're we're talking to partners at the moment um, from both sides and you know James has got three tournaments with the women's open the Vic open but we're here to fully support as a tour and as the PGA of Australia and then with the PGA championship which we're sort of on take two to return the tournament to the city of Brisbane and and um, you know we're, we've had some good discussions up there in the past right. week. So right. hopefully, you know, outside the players, um, that's we're in pretty good shape. It, it's good. It's good to kind of hear you talk about it because, like, a lot of people behind the scenes, they go, "Oh, well, why don't they just do it in a in a run of four events in February?" And like, because we want to have you know potential co-sanctions. We want to have mm. you know. There's so much that goes into it, isn't there, yeah. behind the scenes? Yeah, just to talk to the other tours. You know, you, the toughest part is to get your date and. 
and to find out what the other tours are doing. So, you know, with the Australian PGA Championship, it's co-sanctioned with Europe. So Europe will be, you know, at this stage are coming down after, you know, the end-of-season event in Dubai. And then they'll be Hong Kong, and then they're coming to Australia. So geographically, they're looking after the players. But I think what we're looking at is, you know, the international borders and, and the professional athlete policies and the, the vaccines and so forth. So there's still a lot of work and a lot of knowledge to be gained. Is it what? Yeah. And yeah. But to run COVID-safe tournaments, our organisations have done that, and we've shown that through the Queensland Open, through the Player Series events, and we're, we're in Sydney this week at Concord Golf Club for the New South Open, so New South Wales Open, so we're confident we can run COVID-safe events. You've had your feet under your desk for a while now, James, have you, and you understand how important media deals are for sports anywhere. What's the appetite like? Are you, have you got a sense? You know, we've got so much, so many great players. We've got so many great pros. Such a great top-end product we can offer. Have you got a sense for um, the preparedness for people to partner up? Is there an appetite for golf, maybe beyond pay TV? Is, it, is there a free-to-air appetite for golf in Australia? Yeah, I think it's hard. As we know, the um, free-to-air television is very selective about it and their business model requires them to be selective about uh, what they do and uh, those sports that are on free-to-air television are in a really privileged position I think and um, not only because they're getting you know sizable wax of of, Mm. uh, revenue Mm. um, but also they get um, free exposure and and that in itself creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that um, is almost a rich get richer sort of situation. So, um, I mean, in answer to your question, golf's got we've got great content. The one thing I know, Andy, is that um, people don't want to buy golf content on a tournament by tournament basis. Um, they want to look at a season and they want a they want a story. They want a start point, a middle, and an end. And ideally, that end has a climax. That's what sports all yep, about. Yep. And we don't we don't have that at the moment. We're not selling that proposition as well as we could. Um, we've got great commercial partners that are supporting the game um, in a fantastic way, but we can support them better by creating an even better proposition through a tour um, where we're both aligned, the, our two organisations, um, and we bring great events and we improve the quality of the events because what we've got to do is, is try to generate more revenue so we can invest back in the game. Yeah, we're, we're not yeah. for profit organisations yeah. and we're all about growing the sport. Um, well, I think we're all shared in that and united in that um, in that uh, hope and aspiration. It, it, how, just before I let you go, how exciting is this? The 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 where we find ourselves, this this coming together and you know sharing the load and shared visions and working together. This has been something that people in deep inside Australian golf and various layers going out have been talking about for quite some time. Is this? the opportunity is this the opportunity that golf's been looking for in australia for for a while to to get you two together and your organizations to to make this what it sort of can be yeah and you can see the smile on my face this is the biggest opportunity we've had and you know coming out of you know a resurgence to our game and, and increased golfers to our game and then to be sitting here with james talking the way we're talking and, and having a you know collaboration agreement with Karen Lunn, mm. it's the best opportunity. I've been in golf 35 years, mm. so I've seen it from Greg Norman being number one to Kari winning a lot of majors, the peaks and everything, but I've also seen the game 
you know, decrease in player numbers and, and you know, from the PGA's point of view, contracts and retail getting tougher and online and Amazon and everything coming into play. So this is the biggest opportunity for, for our sport and it's great just to be sitting here with James and, and having these discussions and, and our boards are very aligned as well and mm. that's what's brought us all together. We'll come back in 200 episodes and hopefully the four of us will still be here and we'll see where we're at, eh? Shall we promise we'll, we'll, we'll do that with one another? Yeah, if we're still here. <laughs> if we're still here. Yeah, exactly right. right. Um, we will have made some progress. I, know, I think, so. I think we so. will. Thanks for coming in, James. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Gav. Thanks for coming Thanks, in, mate. Andy. Gavin Thanks, Kirkman Ali. and James Sutherland joining us. Um, 200th anniversary of the show. We'll be back to wrap it up after this, Elle. Can't wait. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Uh, great to have access to the two CEOs. Um, I asked them, how excited are you about, where, and we sort of touched on this in the top of the show, but now that you've heard from the two CEOs, how are you? How excited are you about the potential for what sits in front of us now? I love it. You know, it just makes sense to have a blanket over all of our, and, and you know, all of our little parts of um, our golfing organisations, I guess you could say, but... I just see no downside, Mm. especially at the moment in the way that the market is um, from the professional side and a more of a focus on membership. And, and, you know, we talk about the pro side, but let's not forget there's WPGA pros, there's PGA um, teaching professionals, and and they are a massive part. They never get enough credit. And and so many of the girls that play on tour and and guys similarly feed back into that role. And I see that as such a crucial role Mm. in Australia. And so, and I feel like that really aligns with Golf Australia mm. and building the game. And so that that's the section that I'm really curious to see um, how we can develop that more. And obviously through things like this podcast where we get, you know, teaching pros on and that kind of thing, um, I, I hope that there's more of hearing about what's being done at that level. Yeah, yeah. I had one question I wanted to ask you and Kari prior to the boys joining us in the studio mm. and we just ran out of time. Yeah. And it's not – and some of her stuff on – the way we should talk about the women's game in relation to the men's game was fascinating. And, you know, there's, there's a bit going on there, I reckon, with, with Kari and her sensibilities around all of that, which is really interesting. So I don't ask this question because there should be. But given what she was talking about distances, given what DeChambeau's doing in the men's game, is, there, is it inevitable that we'll get a female who tries to do the same thing, some hulking, powerful... <laughs> <laughs> who just who does it the same way, or is he so unique that he's beyond replication? Uh, arguably, you could say that Annika already did it. Yeah, right. At her, her in her right. heyday, yep. she went. You know, she went away for a Christmas break and st- stacked on like five kilos of yeah, muscle. Right, okay, yeah. She she was kind of, and it was around the similar time that Tiger Woods started, you know, becoming an athlete and bringing in that whole kind of, you know, TPI um, concept of training into the game. Uh, you yeah, can say right. that she yeah. did, but yeah, there's yep. there's opportunity. You know, Anne Van Dam's one of the longest on tour. Um, she's long and lanky. She's yep. you know she's six foot, and she has a quite a lovely slow takeaway and just aligns everything through the ball. Eri Jutanagun, if she was hitting driver, um, she'd be talked about a lot more. Webby touched on that where uh, she doesn't like hitting driver. She hits three wood. Her dri- all of her driving distances yep. are with her three wood. Yeah. So, because there's two measuring holes every week, uh, every day on the golf course, and they kind of average it out and. Um, yeah, so th- there are kind of those sleeper people out there. Whether or not um, anyone's thinking about potentially marketing themselves yeah. that way yeah, is yeah, a very yeah. interesting train yeah, of thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other thing, Sandringham. 
We've, yep. We're talking a lot about it, and we spoke to the two CEOs about it. Do you have a history out there? Is there any? Do, does Woodycar and the Sandringham Golf Course, the Sandringham Links, does that have? Is there any? Is there any shared history between you two? I have a massive spot, a soft spot for for Sandy Golf Club. Yeah, I, you know, I was taught at Royal by Bruce Green because of Sandringham Golf Club. Right. Um, so back when the Presidents Cup was uh, in Australia, I think it was ninety eight, wasn't it? Um, they he was over at Sandringham. I was out playing around with my mum and my sister, like social round of golf. Um, mum kind of got up and wiggled her bum a little bit and bunted it down the fairway. And so he was over scoping it out with Bill Richardson, who was the GM of uh, Royal at the time, who whose son I went to school with. So they came up and they were heckling us on the first tee. And my sister gets up, beautiful golf swing, really fluid. Uh, and then I get up and I, and I distinctly remember hitting it in the trees. But Bruce said, you're coming to see me the Monday after the President's Cup. I'm, saw I'm going to coach right. you. Okay. And that was that was the start of it. If I hadn't had that, I don't know where I'd be now. Yeah, right. And so um, I feel pretty lucky that, you know, the home of golf is at a part that is um, at a place that is, yeah, holds a very good spot in my heart. So take sliding doors, mm. take yourself back to that. If, if he didn't see you, if he didn't see you then, do you still think you would have chased it at some stage or did he need, did you need someone to to tap you on the shoulder and say, I want to do this with you? Uh, like I was getting, I was kind of getting lessons at that point in time, but casually with my sister. Yeah. And it was more of like down at the range, at yeah. Sandy driving range. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it would have happened as quickly and I certainly wouldn't have had the same opportunities. Okay. No, because I, I grew up on the range at Royal Melbourne. I've, I've been very, very privileged. And so yeah. I got dropped there after school and would practice there until sunset, and he'd be doing his lessons, keeping an eye on me down the other end of the range. Okay, so okay. it's yeah, it, it really played into my golfing tapestry. Yeah, yeah that's pretty. So um, I can't yeah. wait to go see the updates yeah. as well. The course Apparently sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm uh, I'm very excited, and also it's just a short drive, really, isn't it? Of course, it? just around the right corner from the, you, yeah, exactly. Right in the heart of the sandbelt, love um, it. How's your life looking? We're we're loving what you're doing and bringing to your commentary roles. Um, What's 2021 looking like for you? Uh, by design, it's going to be very end heavy. <laughs> and so right, okay. we yep. weren't really sure when I was making my schedule at the end of last year what was going to happen uh, with COVID, with um, hotel quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and, and, you know, vaccinations and all that kind of jazz. So I, we kind of did a little bit. We did the desert swing um, with Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and, and Saudi, and then I'll be home for a while. And then once June hits, uh, it is very hectic. So hopefully on the current schedule is <laughs> just just to give you an idea. Oh. So I've got – I'm going to name the main events. Obviously, there's plenty in between. But uh, the Open, the Women's Open, the Solheim Cup, the Ryder Cup, and both Olympics is currently – uh, and that's you're going to be part of all of those in theory. Yes. That is a reasonable Which suite is, of things to look forward to. Pretty cool. I don't Are you think kidding me? No other year in that's my unbelievable. Career will be like this. That's a joke. That's a whole. You're ticking <laughs> off about six or seven things that people search a lifetime to. That's it. It's, it's a bucket list year. The the kidding? only downside, and now and I can hear myself. Everyone's going. There is no downside. There is no downside. Uh, is that they're all spaced really awkwardly for me to get home. Right. And so that is literally the – I wish that they were kind of more back-to-back -back purely because of the two-week quarantine yeah, right. um, coming back. So when I go, I could be gone for a, yeah. quite a, a matter of months, well, but I'll gone, be happy. Oh, I'm going to say, it. if you're going to be dragged away from home <laughs> for any particular reason, it may as well be for those five or six reasons That's that you've it. just outlined then. Um, elsewhere, uh, we obviously talk about Matty, talked about Matty Jones at the start of the show. Corn Ferry, great result. Harry Endicott, 14 mm -hmm. under fifth uh, at Louisiana. Kenya Open, Scotty – I don't know how much of – whether you tuned in and watched, mm. 
that was a hard watch, Scott Hand, early in that round. Yeah. He does wear his heart on his sleeve, Hendy, and it was it was a hard watch, <laughs> the start of that final round. I loved Scott so Hand. I. I really do. And, yeah. you know, and if you follow him on social media, you can see, like, he, he comes off as quite gruff. And this is what I say every broadcast. Yeah, if you look at him, he looks like kind of like a bit of an angry bulldog. Mm. Like, he's got that, that gruffness to him. And then you go up and he and he'll talk to you about twenty minutes about a, a Chablis from Burgundy that yeah. he had, you know, last week. I said, "What are you drinking?" Because he loves his wine. He loves um, kind of classic and fast cars. He's just such an anomaly, and he's just not what he seems at all. And he was one of the first guys once I went out to the European tour. He always came up to me, Ali, how you doing? Yeah. How are you finding it? Yeah. Really reached out. I walk around with him on practice rounds a lot of because we've got a lot of aligned interests as well as golf. And, um, yeah, he, he's one of those folks. But he, he will have five miscuts and then he'll win. Yeah, so don't yeah, never count yeah. him down. Loves he's, him. One, he's so talented. He's yeah. got so much talent, Scott Hend, um, that he will keep himself relevant by a flashy weight. Yeah. Loves an emoji too. Yeah. <laughs> on Twitter. Loves an emoji. Um, New South Wales Open. We can't, so we got the uh, WGC match play to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a heap of Australians participating. That New South Wales Open at Concord. So, what are, it's quarter past twelve on Tuesday that we're recording this. We all understand what's been going on in Sydney in the kind of greater New South Wales region with the weather, and it's terrible. And if you're up there and you've been afflicted by it, and you're listening to this somehow, um, our thoughts are obviously with you. So I don't know what kind of impact the rain's had on Concord, but but we're going ahead, I believe. Hazy's up there, so we'll get a full wrap next week. But um, $400,000 event, there's been some good golf played domestically. Great kind of um, – it's simmering along the, the tour. Mm-hmm. This is sort of takes – just turns the heat up a little bit underneath all of that. Great field, great players all over the place. Yeah, we do. You know, Brad – you could say Brad Kennedy's really headlining in terms mm. of uh, his form. He won what? about seven or eight weeks ago um, now in Rosebud. Rosebud yep. Yeah, and and Andy Martin, who, you know, four, yep. four eagles in one round at Bonnie Doob, like, great, yep, sign me up. Uh, so, no, it's it's great to have them all back, and I just, like, I can't stress it enough. I know how grateful these players are mm. to have the opportunity for this. It might not seem like a big deal at home to have a state open. Like, this, these are really hard to pull together at the moment. Yep. And yep. obviously, especially um, with the weather challenges, you know, being – one in 50, one in 100-year storms um, that they've they've got going all up and down that coast. The good thing is that Concord drains pretty well yeah. uh, from memory. I haven't been there in a while, but I remember it being sand-based and, and quite hilly, which, again, kind of moves the water elsewhere. Um, and so, fingers crossed, it, yeah, it all comes together. But, um, no, a couple of players I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to seeing Jared Felton. I really mm-hmm. feel like we haven't, um, from WA, haven't seen his best yet. Uh, he's one of those players that just seems to be just so far under the radar, um, you know, and that and that's with a win under his belt. Um, so, you know, I'm just I, I'm hoping that he kind of starts building on mm. on that momentum. Um, former PGA Tour player as well, Michael Sim, um, is teeing up from that state as well, along with a host of other players yeah. from all around the country, yeah. which would be brilliant. Oh, they've got a strong interest in golf over in WA at the moment, given mm. the production line of quality players that's been coming, boys and girls that have been coming out of that neck of the woods in the last decade. So yeah. um, they'll be keeping a close interest on their folk in Sydney. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, the LPGA is kicking up again at the Kia Classic yeah. uh, over in California, and it's the first time in a long time we're going to see Minji Lee and Hannah Green right. uh, on our screens, um, along with, who else, Kat Kirk, Sarah Kemp, Suo, uh, Sarah Jane Smith, 
they'll all be teeing it up, so we'll have some women's golf to watch this weekend, which will be fabulous. Well, it's lovely to hear your voice. It's good to see your face. Good, good to see yours too. Um, thanks for being part of this. 200. Oh, it's such a milestone, honestly. It's Can't incredible. believe they've let us do this this long, no, no, but crazy. it just feels yeah. like we're cheating. But, uh, you know, it's good fun. Well, anybody who's out there who's been listening to us, you know, um, more often than not, uh, thanks for being part of it. And uh, hopefully there's 200 more. So it's been a joy to be part of it up until this stage. Thanks to Kari Webb. Thanks to Gavin Kirkman. Thanks to James Sutherland. Thanks to you, Kari Webb. Oh, Kari Webb. Alison Whittaker. I wish. Oh, I my wish. Gosh. <laughs> oh, I've got Kari Webb on the mind now. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming in and good luck with everything in front of you. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Inside the Ropes, episode 200 done and dusted. We'll be back next week to do 201.